The Bridge Podcast Network is made possible by generous support from the Boardwalk Plaza Hotel and Victoria's Restaurant on the Boardwalk in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Open seven days a week year-round. Learn more at BoardwalkPlaza.com. This is Fathering, Episode 1 with Jay Flack. Hey, I'm Mark Dickey, and welcome to Fathering. As of recording this episode, I've got one daughter. Her name's Brooklyn. I love her very much, and she is just shy of a year and a half. And it's been that past year and a half that I've realized, and maybe it only took you a day to figure this out as a dad, but I have no idea what I'm doing. And the very little idea that I have comes from the other dads that I've been around throughout my life, watching other people parent their kids. And there are so many different ways to do that. But as a Christian, I really want to raise my daughter to love God and pursue him and marry a guy who wants the same. But I can't force her to do that. I have to be an example of God to my daughter I've found that it's really common for a person's view of God, including yours, most people, their view of God and who he is comes directly from their experiences with their own father. In fact, God is called the heavenly father by a lot of people, and your view of him likely comes from your dad. And so I want to be the best example of Jesus and Christ to my daughter. So she doesn't think of God as this overbearing heavenly father who wants to tell her what to do, but I want her to see him as a savior and someone she can run to when she's in trouble. And so with this podcast, I'm going to bring on guests. I'm going to bring on dads who I think did a great job of raising kids to love the Lord. Doesn't mean their kids are perfect. Doesn't mean they're perfect. In fact, I'll have one dad on you know this episode, and then the next episode, they might have a completely different view of how to raise your kids. And if you try and do everything in this podcast, you're probably going to go crazy. We can take little tips and tricks from each of these dads that I have on the podcast and make it work for your family. Every family's different. Every kid's different. And so we're going to have a good time. Thanks for joining me for this podcast. With that said, here is our first guest on Fathering, Jay Flack. Well, Jay, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, thanks, Mark. I'm doing great. So I have known you for a few years, but I actually met your kids before I met you. And that's why. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and that's what made me think of, of having you on the podcast. So how many kids do you have? I have three. Okay. And what are their ages? So my oldest, my first is a girl. It's Kaylee. She's 23 years old. She's now married and has two kids of her own. So I'm actually a grandfather. All right. And then my next oldest is Zach. He's a 21-year-old at uh, college. And then my youngest, actually his birthday is today, the day of filming, December 9th, (laughs) is Andrew, and he's 18. So, okay, so 18, 21, and 23, Mm -hmm. is that what you said? So you've been doing this for a little while then? A little bit, yeah. (laughs) A little practice. When you first found out that Kaylee was coming, were you 
Were you ready to be a dad? I was ready to be a dad. Uh, my wife and I have been married uh, for 27 years, and we decided to have our first about five years after we had been initially married. So we had some time to both work. We had some time <laughs> to kind of, you know, argue over which way the toilet paper roll goes uh, and so forth. And then when we were ready to have a, a child, we were ready. So, yes. That's cool. We, I had the exact same argument with my wife about the toilet paper. <laughs> it's pretty common. Now, which way do you think it goes? Well, it definitely goes this way. Uh, and I know your viewers can't see that. <laughs> so you'll have to help me describe it. Um, it folds over. Over. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason you can do it the opposite way, I've heard, is if you have cats. Okay. It's because cats will, like, claw it out. It makes sense. But They can be wrong, with, with or without cats. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. But to answer your question, Kaylee was... Um, was a surprise in the not in the traditional sense of when you have a kid whoops it's a surprise <laughs> but that it was a girl because i'm one of four boys myself mm. and boys just run rampant in my bloodline <laughs> and so it was very unique to have a girl and um and to have you know what do i do now because i'm used to boys yeah i i made up a long my mind a long time ago all i wanted was a boy mm-hmm. and i was just like man god's gonna give me and i only wanted three kids and i didn't want more than three God's going to give me three girls. I know it. And I'm not going to have any boys. And so now I've made up my mind. I'm okay. I only want girls. Yes, <laughs> right. And I have one girl. So that, yes. that works. Um, so you, you mentioned that you both got to work. So what was family life like? Like who watched Kaylee after she was born? Well, as soon as Kaylee was born, Stephanie, my wife had made the decision that she was going to be a stay at home mom. So she left her career at the bank. She'd gone to school to do business. Um, and I was full, full-time full active duty Air Force. So I didn't really have the luxury or the choice to be able to stay home. Um, so Stephanie, it was what she had always wanted. And it, it worked out perfectly for us, for me to work full-time and for her to then stay home with Kaylee. Yeah. So how, how long were you in the Air Force until you stopped? Uh, I actually was in the Air Force twenty, almost 22 years. I retired uh, from the service. That's what I did for the majority of my first career. So I had no idea. Yeah. I just know. So I just know Jay from being involved in, in like the medical field, but so what did you do in the force? Uh, so I was a medic. I I worked (laughs) worked in healthcare administration. I was a radiology tech and a few other things, but, um, but that's what I did when I retired. So I followed that same career path in, uh, in the civilian world. Okay. So how old were your kids when you, when you changed that career? When I retired, yeah, uh, that was in 2015, uh, 14, excuse me, hmm. 2014. So I guess roughly six years younger than, than what they are today. Okay. Okay. So that makes perfect sense to me because, you know, like from the moment I met your, your sons, I don't know your daughter, but, Kaylee. but, mm-hmm. um, I, I know Zach and Andrew really well and those boys know respect <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. And, and so the air force thing makes perfect sense. Yeah. Was that, um, I mean, did, did that, did your time in the air force affect how you raised your kids? Yeah, it definitely did. Um, for me, it's, it, it was less about having, uh, believe it or not, the, even though the air force often required me to be orderly and disciplined and a lot of those things, I didn't really carry that over into my home a whole lot hmm. because my personality is more to be free, to be more, uh, frankly, messy and just kind of enjoy life. I'm really not, I, I'm good at being in the box because I was taught to, 
but it's not something that I naturally gravitate to. So for me, um, uh, sure, respect and, and discipline, those are certain things that I value as far as, you know, always being respectful to your parents or always doing what you say you're going to do and just general values. Those are always going to be important to me. But some of the military type things uh, weren't, weren't, weren't necessarily uh, something that I would subscribe to on my own. So you wouldn't consider yourself a harsh dad? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Not in the sense of the of the word harsh from a disciplinary standpoint. Um, I'm a I'm a workaholic, mm. and I have been in whatever career I dive into. And so for me, I think the times that I can cherish the most were the times where I was able to get away from that and put in the boundary for myself to make myself actually, I have a saying, and it stayed with me for the majority of my life and it helped me in parenting to work hard and play hard. It's simple. Hmm. It's work hard and play hard. And that makes me, when I'm on vacation, work stops and I play hard. I'm with who I'm with. To the best of my ability, I've tried to do that. And that means we can go on great vacations and really just kind of let our hair down, so to speak, as yeah. a family and enjoy one another and anything goes. Uh, and then when I get back to work, I put those boundaries back <laughs> up and it's time for dad to go back to work and and balance my life in that way. So, yeah. Well, so I love the way that sounds, but it also sounds really exhausting. It, it, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I put in I put in uh, probably more hours than I than I probably ever should have. Um, and I, and that's something that I still struggle with, even as a pastor, mm. balancing family time and making sure that I carve out time to play hard with my family. Yeah. How long were those days? Like your, your average days? Um, typically, I mean, uh, I, I worked mostly 12 hours a day. Um, there were times I was pushing 15 hours, wow. uh, especially in civilian, um, where you're just kind of running the show and trying to make sure everything happens and you're on call 24 seven. So it's, it's a difficult life, but you know, when you pour yourself into it and you kind of allow that to drive you, um, sometimes it can blind you and you can just keep going mm. uh, on empty for a while. Gotcha. So what did time with your kids look like during those years? Time for my kids was always, um, I, I really did my best to try and get home by dinner time. Mm-hmm. Dinner time would slip for me. It would be 6.30. It would be a little later than most people's. But we kind of carved that in so that we could sit down together as a family and try our best to sit down and have a meal together and then play a little bit. It was mm-hmm. TV or it's games together or something, throwing the football or baseball when the boys were into that and when Kaylee was pitching for softball when she was little or playing soccer, you know, it was going out in the yard and doing those things for an hour or, or two and then getting ready for bed and, and letting them have that time with me. Um, and if I wasn't able to do it, then I'd have to make up for it on the weekend, but, hmm. um, difficult, you know, Steph, Stephanie, my wife carried that, carried that load hmm. for a long time. Did you have to do anything to try and help her? Like, like what, what did helping her and assisting her in that look like? Yeah. For Stephanie, um, being so, so Steph helped, uh, mold them really into who they are. She homeschooled them for, uh, well for, for Zach, it was his whole, all the way through high school. Hmm. Uh, he's now a Liberty University medical student. She did all of that groundwork with him. Uh, my youngest, uh, who's 18 today, uh, is in high school down the road at, C- at Caesar Rodney High School, but he was homeschooled up until eighth grade. And then my oldest, Kaylee, was also homeschooled the majority of her life. So 
Steph's put a lot of time in. So for for me, it was the recognition and the value of, well, she's putting in a lot of time teaching them and, and doing that, all the groundwork. When I come home, I need to support her the best that I can. And sometimes that would be, hey, I've got the three kids. You go have some sanity with your friends or go out, <laughs> you know, and I just take the, the brunt of it or on Saturday go have a spa day or go hang out with your friends and try to do that to balance out her sanity. But frankly, it was mostly on her. I mean, she just had to carry the load and she saw that as that was her mission. Mm. Um, Sounds like you had great teamwork. Like, like everyone had clear roles uh, as you were going through raising them. Yeah. The best that you can. Yeah. I was the principal of the school. (laughs) So, you know, if there was times where, um, sometimes Steph would say, hey, listen, they're getting into algebra or algebra two and or trig or something like that. And maybe it was an area that I might have had a background in, hmm. like statistics or, or whatever in college that was different than her. So I would help them with the homework in those areas. Or if she needed help with like reinforcing something, hey, make sure you do your homework or hey, stop giving mom lip while she's doing this. <laughs> then dad would step in in that role to kind of support her as well. But But other than that, yeah, she's... She's a champion. She's, she did a lot of the work. I just hear her saying, just you wait until the principal gets home. Yeah, yeah. You just wait till your father gets home. Exactly. You love the people in your life, but sometimes you just don't understand each other. Wouldn't it be great if there was a tool to help you do that? The Enneagram is a great tool to inspire better connections with others, ourselves, and God. It's about learning what motivates us or how we and others see the world. Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Kim. Join us on the journey to better relationships utilizing the Enneagram. Check out our podcast, If You Really Knew Me, and subscribe today. So I became a Christian when I was seven years old, hmm. uh, early, early on, uh, grew up in church, both both Stephanie and I did. Um, pretty much whenever the church doors were open, we were there. Hmm. So grew up to going to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and any other time that the, the building was open through all different types of denominations, um, all, all in the Christian faith. But we grew up, you know, Baptist, Southern Baptist, Pentecostal, <laughs> non-denominational, uh, Pentecostal Holiness, Assemblies of God. I've, I've been to several different denominations growing up. And um, so, yes, church was always a foundational part of our family. That's great. Mm-hmm. So so your kids went through children's church and, and youth group? Absolutely. From the very beginning, um, we had them in church uh, from the nursery all the way up through. Um, they participated in, in MOPs, which was mothers of preschoolers that would you know, get together and help watch one another's kids. And they they did Awanas and those different club things uh, through growing up. And then, of course, the Sunday schools and the youth groups all the way through was an integral part of their of their um, making up. Mm. So what did you do? So, I mean, you said you were you were there more than just Sunday, like you were you were going whenever you could. Yeah. Um, what did you do to bring faith into your home? Uh, Stephanie and I um, both having a faith early on and both being raised by Christian parents, it was always a part of our family dynamic. Uh, One of the things that we did was we volunteered early on, her and I, in whatever role the church that we would be at needed. Sometimes that was us Mm -hmm. serving in nursery. One of the things, one of the tricks of the trade for us was for either one or both of us to serve at the age group of what our kids were in. Oh, cool. Always seemed to work for us to, to give us a better understanding of what their learning platform was, where they stood with or without their peers, 
and also just to be able to um, do what you just said, infuse Christ into whatever age was appropriate for them at whatever church we could do it at. So that's always been a huge part of what we've done. With, were your kids ever like, oh, do you have to be at everything I do? Yes. <laughs> Matter of fact, I still get that a little bit. I still get that a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, though, Mark. I I really try to take a different approach um, with my kids. I, I, they already know that I'm not perfect because they see me in life. Hmm. They already know that I just do the best that I can to be an example. But but really what I what I've really tried to do is just be who I am. And that means I'm allowed to make mistakes. When I do, I own up to them. I don't just let it be sugar-coated. But they understand that their dad's not going to lie to them or be in a false life or represent something that I'm not. If, I, if I'm upset about something, they're going to know it. If I'm happy about something, they're going to know it. And I really try to wear those things on my sleeve and always have so that they can just know who I am, unfiltered. And that's really helped us have, a, I think, a respect level they know dad's not perfect. They don't even have to agree with me on certain things. Hmm. But then I can give them the same permission to be who they are. And I think we've just really had an early understanding um, in our home that it's okay to be who you are. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all right. You can have mistakes. You can have heartache. You can have you know sadness. You can have depression. You can have whatever you're facing, and we'll deal with it together as a family. Don't hide it be who you are and let it out. And, and then we can work through it together. Wow. That's a vulnerability that I just, I don't see very often. That's really special. Well, you don't get to see it outside of our family either. You know, mm. for us, it's really a private thing. Uh, and, and I know we're sharing um, uh, to, a, to an audience now, but if you're asking me some of the you know, things that worked for us as a family, what knit us together, it was that. It was being able to be who we are inside those walls and protecting one another, but also caring for one another, our weaknesses. Because so, so much of the time, they could see me being a hypocrite. They could see me saying one thing or doing one thing, and, and then they see me not doing it in a, another setting, and it's confusing. And I remember growing up, even as a kid, you know, my father um, wasn't the best example, and he's He's passed now. My parents got divorced when I was a kid. And I just remember that was a confusing thing for me to see the mistakes made or the things that, that my father would look to do when it was public and then in the house be different. And I never wanted to, to have that in my house. Mm. I feel like every kid who, who eventually becomes a dad, they, they go into parenting thinking, I'm not going to be my dad. Yeah. And the, the sad but also funny end to that is most of us end up becoming our fathers a lot like them yes but like we there's also this opportunity to break a cycle because mm. if if i was treated a certain way by my dad there's a good chance his dad treated him that way that's right and so that's really cool that you're taking those steps to try and really break that cycle yeah and that's really what it was for us we were able to have that conversation later on once the kids were older you know, I explained some of the hardships of what it was like growing up with an abusive dad and the things that we went through, not to get a pity party or to discuss those things, but just so they could understand that sometimes you get dealt harsh or difficult things. Mm. And even in, in spite of it all, it doesn't have to define who you are. You can still be strong enough to say, you know what, that wasn't right. I didn't like how I was treated. I'm, I'm not sure why it happened, but I can I can be different from my family. And 
that's really one of the goals or one of the things that drives me the most. Uh, I think in in just trying to be who I am to my kids is just saying, I'm never going to be everything that you wanted me to be, but I'm not going to surprise you with some curveball that you didn't see coming. You're going to know who I am. You know that I love you unconditionally. And we're going to, whatever it is, we'll face it together. So at the time of the recording of this episode, I have, uh, I think she's 15 or 16 month year old. I'm really new to parenting Mm. and already there are things that my wife and I have tried where it's like, all right, we're going to do this. No, that's not a good idea. We're going to do something else. Uh, Is there anything that, you know, you were learning as you go, is there anything that you were super dead set on and then you guys kind of changed your parenting style? Yeah. Uh, gosh, probably a lot of things. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting because each child, it's not even just a child, it's all of them huh. are so different that even one approach that worked with my oldest, my daughter, would never work with my <laughs> next child and, and certainly not the third. Um, so your approach is literally custom made because they're custom made. Mm. Every single one of them has their own personality and their own strengths and weaknesses, and you really have to tailor it to them. And And that's one of the reasons why I give Stephanie, my wife, high praise, because as she was going through homeschooling and learning who they were, having to make those adjustments really fell on her. And then she give, would help me have a better understanding mm. of, hey, look, um, you know, Zach loved to play sports. I mean, if you put a ball in front of that kid, it didn't matter what shape it was, football, soccer, basketball, baseball, he loved it, Aww. but see, Andrew is a musician, and so we. But it took me a little while. It's, I started off on the same path. Hey, let's go throw the ball. Hey, let's go do this. Huh. And it wasn't for a while that I realized, yeah, he he liked those things okay, but what really works for him is just to get into the music room, un, behind an instrument, and just let him play and use his gifts. So, not every approach works with 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 each one of them. And um, it's interesting that you said that, but one of the things that comes to mind right out the gate was we started using um, sign language early on with um, with Kaylee so that she could communicate if she wanted more food or if she was hungry or she was all done and, you know, different things like that. And um, I don't think we ever used it with Zach or Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't translate as well. That's funny because we, yeah, I we're doing that with my daughter right now. And yeah. it's, it's been really helpful. Yes, Kaylee had used it phenomenally <laughs> the boys are like nah, i'm not interested <laughs> was there ever a phase or a period of time that you were just so glad to put behind you it sounds terrible to say this but almost every phase <laughs> it was like yeah it does sound terrible <laughs> it, it really does because it's like you look at every or at least we did we had a tendency to look at every phase and go oh i can't wait till the terrible twos is over i can't wait till mm. they're done teething and you look back now and I look at my grandson, and I look at my granddaughter, and I cherish everything. Mm. I literally look at it differently. Uh, I'll say that transitioning from you're in trouble all the time, that the the younger teenage years, the middle school years, where it was just like you're in a fight all the time, that was probably the phase we would say, yeah, we could probably <laughs> just fast forward that one. But I got to tell you, once they got to... 17, 18, it has just been a pure joy because we've, we're actually like friends. Huh. It, it just transitioned to more of a friend. Not that they get to say what they want or they get to be, you know, in charge. Right. 
but there's just a different relationship that you have where you can enjoy one another and it's not so much work. So I would say probably the middle school, younger teenage years for us were super tough mm. where you're just being challenged a lot and they're trying to figure out who they are as an adult and, and all of that. But we both recognized that we didn't take advantage of the positive things that we saw in each of the stages going forward. And now you can look back mm. at grandkids with a new lens and really appreciate it. Yeah. Watching my, my daughter's grandparents, uh, we'll see them on the, on the floor playing with her. And I, I commented to my wife, I was like, it's like, they know something we don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, like they could just sit on the floor with her forever and just stare at her. And we're, we're like, all right, when's bedtime so we can, you know, watch what have we life. Watch. <laughs> yes. Right. That's the thing is you're so worn out as a mom or a dad. And when you're going through the phases and, and it's new to you, after you pass that with your own kids, it is a remark is one of the most remarkable joys of my life. Mm. I never saw this coming that to be a grandfather when I see Colton and when I see Abigail, it's like you don't ever want it to end. You you want to spend every waking moment because now you've realized the mistakes that you've made mm. and you've realized the opportunities that you've missed and you don't want to have that fail again. You don't want to miss them again. Yeah. It's really uh it's really remarkable. Wow. So back to the, the you said the, the middle school-ish years were, were the ones you were kind of glad to... The, the tweenager. Tweenager, okay. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> when they start to turn teenager. So now that you're past those years and you have that perspective now, are there things that you would have done differently or things that you would have would have tried to do in those years? Yeah, you know, I, I um, there's a few different issues that come to mind. One was... Um, we moved a lot less than other military families have to, but still every move when you're a child or when you're growing up or when you're in school at whatever age can be a difficult transition. And although uh, in the service we didn't have a choice, and so therefore neither did my family, the times that we did have to move um, were especially difficult, uprooting, leaving your church, mm. leaving your neighborhood, leaving your friends, all of those networks. And, and starting over somewhere new. Um, so I would say um, that those moves kind of forced us to start all over again. And re, you, you see, um, especially in relationships, you want, I remember w when we first moved to Milford, Delaware, it was the first time I'd ever even, I didn't even know where Delaware was. <laughs> um, I was moving from Virginia, which isn't that far away. Um, and Zachary was, I don't know, maybe five or six years old. And after like two months of us being in the new place, he he comes home or he's riding his bike or he's doing something and he comes in the house and he's like, mommy, I just want to have one friend. Oh my gosh. And it was like, she told me that when I came from work and I had to fight back tears because it was just like heartbreaking. And just to think about the magnitude of what they go through for each thing is an extra weight that you carry as a parent that you want to protect them from or shield them from. And honestly, I don't remember the question at this point, but um, uh, but I did <laughs> have something it. to say. <laughs> Are there any spiritual lessons that you can remember that, that you taught your kids? I can remember. So one of the things that Stephanie did when she was homeschooling our kids at whatever ages they were, she always opened the morning with prayer. She mm -hmm. always opened, uh, there was always a Bible study. There was always something that she was doing, whether it was telling them stories about the Bible or um, spending time in prayer. But it wasn't like 
um, you know, cookie cutter. She would, she would ask them, do you have any prayer requests? Even at a little age and you'd hear them saying, pray for, you know, the dog who might is sick or, or who's a friend that has a cold or, or whatever, you know? <laughs> and so, so that's always been kind of a part of the fabric. Um, and again, I give Stephanie a lot of credit there, but then when there was more serious questions and there were, there were times where either at a very young age, they just wanted to ask, you know, daddy, do you believe this is real? At Christmas time, we talk about Santa Claus and, and we always had fun with our kids with Santa Claus and gifts and things like that. And having that discussion led us to a discussion about was Jesus real? Mm. Because it was like, you've taught me this your whole, my whole life and you've also taught me that my whole life. So is there any part of this that I need to know while you're coming clean, you know, about Santa Claus? Is there anything else? And so it's those moments where you really do kind of think about, like, what have I done here as a parent? What could I have done differently? And then sometimes it's just, you know what, I I probably didn't do anything wrong. I just need to reinforce the things that are important to us and explain, you know, that that this was just fun and and pretend versus what I really believe um, down deep. So. Every time the, the kids got to a crisis point, though, and I mean as teenagers, even as young adults, um, we really do do our best to point them to God, and we spend time with them in prayer, and we and we remind them continuously that if we don't have the answers, it's okay to, to be mad and tell mm. God. It's okay to be confused and tell God. It's okay to be uh, frustrated and tell God. Wherever you're at, wherever your emotions are, if you can't get it from us, if we can't help you, reach out to him and just be honest with him and let him do it. Um, and so those conversations have given us the privilege to, to be able to pray with our own kids, to accept Christ, every single one of them. Um, and it's just the joy of your life. I mean, you can't, you just can't, there's nothing better than to be able to lead your own kids to saving salvation, understanding of Christ. And, and we've been able to do that with all three of them. Jay, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. Thank and, you. you know, if you could just give one final thought to the dads that are listening right now, like what, what would you want to share with them? Uh, thank you, Mark. I appreciate you having me on. Um, for whatever it's worth, I would say to each guy, just keep moving forward. There's not a single path that's going to get you there. Um, the only thing, it's just like what we tell our kids. Um, you have to have faith. You have to have a belief that, God's going to put you on the right path. And our job as parents is to do our best to guide them. They still have their own individual choices and personalities and decisions to make. And so in many respects, we have to learn how to let go and let them go. And that's one of the hardest things. It was like being a dad and you're trying to teach them how to ride a bike and you take the training wheels off for the first time and you're terrified they're going to run into a tree or a mailbox. And they probably did. (laughs) Um, But you had to let go eventually for them to be able to figure it out. It's exactly like that. And my job, at least what I think my job is and what I think those dads are that might be listening is, is to be able to put them in a place where when you let go of the seat, they really aren't alone, but they understand that there's somebody else holding it for them and giving them their own faith to be able to walk and ride um, to to whatever God has them uh, intended for them. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast today. I hope you learned something that you can take with you into your family. Remember, don't just keep your kids alive, but help them thrive. 
And until next time, I'm Mark Dickey. Thanks for joining me on Fathering.